turn to the Word of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Turn to Acts chapter 14 today. Acts chapter 14. The title of our message is Committed to the Call. Committed to the Call. Now, I want to set us up again here as we return to this first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And I keep mentioning to you locations, and I, and I keep talking about the distances between places because most of us, we're not overly familiar with the, the land of the New Testament, of that part of the world. Even, even today, some of those things may be a little fuzzy to us. And so what happens when we don't know all of those details is we can just kind of read of a name, read of a city, read of a place, and just go, oh, okay, that's nice, and move past and miss something that the, the text is really bringing out in the details for us. And so I just want to kind of rehash a little bit of that and help us to see what those details are really telling us about what's going on here. Remember, Paul and Barnabas, they're sent out from the church in Antioch in Syria, right? And they've been pastoring that church. They saw amazing blessings from God. The church was growing. It was wonderful. And then God says, I'm going to take both of you out of this thriving church, and I'm going to send you off to really basically pioneer the missionary endeavor and go to foreign places and preach to those who have not yet heard the gospel message. And so they journeyed from Antioch in Syria to the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They got on a boat. They went over to the island of Cyprus, where we, we know that Barnabas was from, right? He had this burden to take the gospel back to people he had known. And they go to that island. They travel all over the island, about 140 miles long. So remember, that's like from us to, to St. Louis, like downtown St. Louis, right? So that kind of distance, and they cover all that distance, not with cars, <laughs> but walking. And from place to place over that whole stretch of land, they go preaching the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel message. And then, as we said, you know, we don't see any record of great success all throughout the island. They go from the eastern side all the way to the western side. And there, finally, at this one city on the western edge of it, they have that powerful encounter with the magician, right? The false prophet. And the power of God is displayed. And the proconsul, the Roman leader of the island, he's amazingly converted to understand who the true God is and the message of salvation. But from there... These two missionaries get on another boat, and they go north across the Mediterranean Sea up into the region of Galatia. They, they land there, and things have been kind of difficult. We didn't really bring this out of the text, but if you've noticed when you read Acts 13, there was another guy with them, John. Uh, most translations will say John Mark. Some others will say he had both names. And so that's the, the young man who eventually writes the gospel of Mark. But he had been with them on the island of Cyprus. And things, I think, were so difficult that by the time they reached the, this coastal city and the, the, the region of Galatia, it tells us he actually got on a boat from there and went back to Jerusalem, gave up on the work. It was, it was really difficult. I, maybe he was uh, feeling the weight of what had already taken place, or maybe he was afraid of what lie ahead. Because what the text tells us there is that Paul and Barnabas decided to, to journey north over a mountain range, about 100 miles. Again, we're talking on foot, right? So this is going to take some time to walk over this. And the path that they choose to go so they can reach another city named Antioch, like we talked about last week, right? Poseidon, Antioch. The way they have to get there is over incredibly dangerous area. In fact, Roman soldiers didn't like to travel this route because they didn't have control of it. Bandits would, would regularly attack people and, and kill people along this route. And Paul and Barnabas said, yeah, but, but we got to go that way because on the other side of those mountains, there's a city full of people who need the gospel. And so they go. 
And that's what we read of last week. They got to the city there safely in uh, Poseidon, Antioch, and they preached. We looked at Paul's incredible sermon from last week, how everything in history is about God and what he's doing, right? And how Jesus is the very center of all that and how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus changes the lives of people who believe in him, right? So all that was last week. And so, so here we are, and I, I just want us to feel this. When, when we read it, it's fairly fast, but what we have read and what we've just talked about is Two guys, Paul and Barnabas, who have traveled on foot hundreds and hundreds of miles, who have gotten on boats and crossed the sea, and that's not nearly as safe and reliable a form of transportation as it is today, right? These are guys who have walked over mountains in very dangerous areas, places where people are regularly killed and robbed. They've done all of these things. Why? Because God had called them to take the gospel to people who needed to hear it. They were committed to that. They endured all of that. And so here they are. They've been kicked out of Poseidon Antioch, where we'll pick up the text this morning, is they've been forced to leave that city, and they've gone another 90 miles on foot, this time down to the south and to the east. And we arrive at this city where we are in the text today called Iconium. Look in the text of Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 3 this morning. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. And they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they, that's Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So here we are in this city of Iconium, which is an ancient city in this region. It's a very diverse place, lots of Gentile people, so people from different nations, different languages, as well as a pretty sizable Jewish population. And our two missionaries go into that town after all the travels they've had, all the dangers they've endured, all the struggles up to this point, and they go in and they don't think, you know what, Iconium's a, I mean, it's a pretty nice place. Why don't we relax a little bit? Why don't we just take, I mean, we've earned a break, you know? They don't do that. They go into the town, they go straight to the synagogue, and they begin to preach the gospel. They proclaim Jesus is the one whose life and ministry and resurrection provide salvation for all who will trust in him. And I'm, I am certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that with great joy, it was a very rewarding experience there for Paul and Barnabas. We're told by Luke, the result of that was a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. That's got to be so encouraging to our missionaries, right? I can tell you as a pastor that, that even when I get to see just a little bit of spiritual growth in the life of a Christian, it is exciting to me. And it is the thing that sustains me in, in ministry, right? Like I, I think of, of so many of you in your own stories. Uh, many of you, you've made real, genuine professions of faith. You had known the Lord. You've accepted the Lord. You're, you're a Christian, right? But you got kind of stagnant in some area of your walk, right? I mean, we've all been there. And so part of your story was that, yeah, maybe I was a little stagnant in some of this area, but then by God's grace, he, he wasn't done with me, and he continued to work in my life, began to grow me, change me, enliven my faith again. And, and when I get to see that, and I kind of get a, a better view of that than some of you do from my vantage point as a pastor, when I get to see that, and when I get to be a, a part of that, I can tell you that's, that is what gives me great encouragement. I mean, that's what I sit back and reflect on so that I have joy in my life. I have strength. I get refocused onto the things that we need to do. And I have confidence then that good things are ahead because I've seen the good things God's been doing, right? And some of you know personally that 
getting to see the initial work of salvation in someone's life, right, when they come to faith, I mean, that, that's not just a, like a little bit of encouragement. That's like nitrous oxide, right? Like that is a boost to your faith like nothing else, right? Anyone, anyone agree? Yeah? I mean, those moments, those experiences of seeing someone come to faith, in Jesus, that, is, that is like a giant step forward for your faith in a huge way, right? That, I don't know that anything else can be as singularly impactful on you going, yeah, you know what, this is all worth it. Following Jesus is exciting. This is awesome, right? That's true when we get to see just one person come to faith. And here in Acts chapter 14, in the city of Iconium, the reason I'm convinced that Saul and Barnabas would have thought as they're there, hey, every single mile that we have walked, every danger that we have endured, every bit of these months that we have been away from home now, you know what? It's all worth it. Because in Iconium, they didn't get to see just a little bit of growth in a, in a believer. They didn't get to just see one person come to faith. The text says what? They saw a great number of both Jews and Greeks believing in the gospel. Like this location, as they landed there, has to have been probably the most encouraging thing they have seen in their ministry work, their missionary work so far. And like I talked about last week, the way you and I think about history, the way we think about our lives, our own stories as they're unfolding, the stories of people around us as they unfold, the way we think about that really makes a difference in how we live right now. See, Paul and Barnabas, they understood history in the right way, that everything was really part of the story of God unfolding. That, that they weren't the central characters. I mean, they're the central characters in what we are reading here in this record in the book of Acts, but really the story's not about them, right? It's about what God is doing. And Paul and Barnabas would have understood that. Lord, you are at work. You are the one leading us to these different places, ensuring we get there, and then saving people and doing mighty signs and wonders. And the way they saw that was what kept them committed to the call. When you and I see life that way too, that our stories are really part of God's bigger story that is unfolding. When we start to look and see, God, what is it that you are at work doing in this world? What is it that, that you are bringing about? What are, what are the things that you're inviting me to be a part of right now? Then as we look for those things and see those things, I guarantee you, your heart like my heart, will be built up far more beneficially than anything else in this world could build you up. Right? It's worth taking the time to sit back and say, God, what have you been doing? Meditate on those things. You will get far more out of that spiritually than anything you can see on social media, than any TV show that you could watch, than any sports season, no matter how great the team's doing than any accomplishment you could have at work or the joy or fun that you could get from any hobby. None of that is going to bring as much spiritual encouragement to you as simply stepping back and saying, God, what are you doing in this world? What have you been up to? When we see that, our hearts are changed in a really profound way and we're built up and we're encouraged and we're made ready then to move forward. When you and I look around and see how God regularly is bringing rebellious, undeserving, unworthy, wretched people like you and I, naturally, into this position of loving relationship, adopted as sons and daughters and his family, forgiven of sins, becoming changed to be more like the perfect Holy One himself. When you see the work that God is doing and unfolding all around us, it will encourage you. It will strengthen your commitment to live out the call of God on your life personally. 
And so my desire, as you've heard me say time and time again, is that we as a people would begin to understand this and live this out in such a way that, that what would be true of us as the people of this church body is that people would look and say, those are people who are radically God-oriented in their lives. There are people who are committed to following the call of God upon their lives. And I think that looks like two different things primarily. It means being committed, first and foremost, to the worship of God. So that includes being committed to coming together in the corporate gathering, like you've done today. Right? This is crucial. This is an important part of spiritual vitality. But it also means being committed to worship of God in our day-to-day lives because this is a really short part of your life. Right? These hours pale in comparison to the hours you spend outside of this place. I'm the only one who's in here most of the week. <laughs> so you, you and I, we have to say, if we're going to be really God-oriented in our lives, we're going to be really focused on worshiping God in the day-to-day, well, that means we've got to be focused on worshiping God in our vocations. Those of us who are at, at work still, we have to work in a way that testifies to the reality of Jesus as our Lord. We have to be diligent and honest and committed and, and dedicated in our work lives because that is worship to God. He cares about that. He sees that. He wants you to worship him in your work. He also wants you to worship him in the rest that you take. You know, God created and gave to us the Sabbath as a gift to humanity. He doesn't need us to take a Sabbath rest. We need a Sabbath rest. So he gave us a day for that. To rest, it's a spiritual discipline that many of us need to practice doing more often. And I'm at the forefront of that list. That is the hardest thing for me to do, is to find rest. I don't rest well. I don't take days off easily or regularly. I talk to friends who are like, so what's your day off? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, if I had a day off, you know, like, I just, I, I, I like to work. I find joy in work. And so I will just pour myself into work. And it's really, really hard to not constantly just be doing something or thinking through something related to my work. But that's not a good thing. <laughs> Because God made us to rest and to worship him in receiving rest from him. It's an opportunity that he is wanting us to take to rely on him to sustain and manage the world without our help. <laughs> Which he's perfectly capable of, but sometimes we just don't think he could, he, you know, I mean, he needs me. <laughs> right? Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that. <laughs> just being honest with you. It's hard sometimes. So I'm working on that. I'm working on trying to to take rest so that I can worship God fully in this way because he intends for us to worship him in rest. And he wants us to worship him in our relationships too. Who we get close with, who we let influence us, what we're influenced in. Those are all areas that God intends for us to worship him through. And we can even worship God, as we've talked about many times, right, in what we eat and drink. Like next week at the chili cook-off can be a worship experience for us. Some of you is going to be an experience that leads to needing to repent, right? As you don't agree with your score and who's, who wrote that, you know, whatever. It can be that or it could be worship next week, right? That we could go in there and we could have hearts full of gratitude and thankfulness. God, you've given us such wonderful things to enjoy. You've created the world in a way that we can enjoy all these different types of food and all these different flavors. and problems. We could celebrate and worship God through that or we can just fall into the temptation that we often do with food and drink, right? And it just become a thankless, indifferent thing to us, or worse, it becomes idolatry, right? So 
if you and I are going to be radically God-oriented, we've got to be committed to worship of God, both corporately and personally in our day-to-day. There's not a moment of your life, there's not a breath that you draw in that God doesn't want you to worship him with. And it also means, secondly, being committed to living out the mission that he's given us, right? We talk about this constantly over and over again. I remind you, you have a mission. You were saved by God for a purpose, not just to wait it out till you get to heaven, You have a mission, and you need to hear that over and over again. I need to hear that over and over again. Remind myself of that every week, because we need to get that task back into the place of top priority, because the longer, like, the moment you walk out these doors, right, it starts kind of getting knocked down. Other things start playing for top position in your life, and so every week, we need to come in here and be reminded, hey, you've got a mission, you've got a purpose, God has a plan for you this week. We're called to be disciples who go and disciple other people, who make new disciples by proclaiming the gospel, seeing people get set free from the bondage of sin, receiving the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's why we are here, my friends. And that's why Paul and Barnabas did what they did. It's what they were so radically committed to, right? Over all those months, over all those hundreds of miles, through all the dangers that they faced, they were willing to give their very lives if it came to that, for the sake of this mission going forward. But I want us to focus in on a detail here in the story that I think we can be very tempted to miss. Because remember, back in Poseidon, Antioch, they were forced to leave the city very abruptly, right? Like they were kind of kicked out and they had to, to go because of the persecution that was stirred up. But here, did you notice, Luke says that wasn't the case at Iconium. Look at verse 3 again, chapter 14, verse 3. So they, he says, Paul and Barnabas, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. Now, I want us to, to not rush past that because think about what's true for Paul and Barnabas as the pioneer missionaries of the Christian church, right? There's literally hundreds of places for them to go, thousands of places for them to go that haven't heard the gospel yet. It would be very tempting to come into a city, preach, see whatever takes place. Hey, great success or not a little success, but okay, you know what? We've done our bit. Now let's move on. Let's go somewhere else and let's try again. There's a temptation that they could just always be after, while it's not easy, as we've already seen, they could always just be after kind of the the quick results. We'll go in. We'll see what happens. We'll go on. But Paul and Barnabas aren't just concerned about people hearing the gospel the first time. They're concerned about people actually having real, genuine growth and a true conversion experience. So, as we've talked about many times, right, real growth, as all of us know from our own gardens, it takes, it takes time. It takes intentionality. And like me, when we fail to be intentional over the summer, my garden's already ripped out because it did not thrive. It did not grow. So eventually, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm tired of all this. Yank it all out, and we're done. Now, Jason can mow over it later, and th- we're done. Because growth takes time, it takes intention, it takes effort, right? And so here, Paul and Barnabas are given the opportunity to put the work in, and instead of saying, yeah, you know what, that work's pretty hard, that work's pretty difficult, that work takes, takes a lot of effort, you know, it's easier if we just move on. They chose to stay and dig into the work at Iconium. They weren't just looking for the big moments, they weren't just interested in the quick things. They were so committed to the call, don't, don't miss this, they were so committed to the call that they would not just go, but they were also willing to stay. That's important. And I want us to think about that as a model for our own spiritual lives. We talk about that a lot, right? Real growth takes time, and rarely is it easy. There are difficult questions that come up 
in Christian growth. There are things that, that we begin to think through that, that we need to get some answers for, things we don't understand right away. Someone's got to teach us. Someone's got to help us understand, right? There are fiery trials for us to walk through. There are seasons of suffering that we face in this life. And really, there's just messy moments that happen in our lives, right, as we spend time together. That's just the way life is. So as a whole church, what we need to know is that all that's true, and we need to know, be resolved, be committed to digging in, in those moments, and remaining committed to one another, and the process of growth through it all, so that we can see the end result. We miss out on so much when we opt to jump ship and run when things start to get uncomfortable. Or when we try to compartmentalize and just endure through a season rather than learn how to grow through a difficult season. Look, as your pastor, I want you to, to know I, I'm, I'm really committed to this, to, to you in these seasons of life that we face. I, I, I hope you know this, but, but let me just say it publicly. I want to be present in your life in the difficult moments. So, so here's what I would ask. <laughs> Let me know when those moments come. When things come up, when you have struggles that, that are present in your life, when you're sick, when you have medical procedures, send me a text or call me <laughs> or swing by if you want to. All right, I'm on my way to the hospital. Okay, you know, like, let me know. Because I, I know many of us, and I, I face the same temptation, the same pull in my own life. It's the way I was raised. So it takes effort to, to change. I get it. But the default for so many of us is we want to have a really private posture, especially when hard things come. We tend to want to keep things close to the chest, to handle it alone. Maybe involve the immediate biological family, maybe not. And you tell yourself that the intention behind is you just don't want to be a burden to anyone else, right? That's what I would tell myself. Well, I'm not sharing this because I just don't want to burden anybody else. Most of the time, that's just an excuse, though. Because let me lovingly, gently, but, but lovingly tell you this. It's not what God has intended for you to carry this burden alone, to walk through life alone. That's not how God's designed you, designed me to live. You're not created, even as a human, to navigate this life alone. You know, in the garden, what God said was, it is not good for us to be alone, right? And much less as a person who's saved, as a Christian person, listen, you've been adopted into the family of God. You've been made part of the body of Christ. And he tells us very plainly in the word of God, that means you are not designed, you're not equipped now to handle life alone. Hear these words from scripture as a loving corrective to that thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 to 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, hey, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that still would not make it any less a part of the body. And just a few verses down, he plainly tells us, God has designed us so that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all suffer together, and if one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, we talked about this text in Galatians 6, 2, almost, almost exactly a year ago in the One Another series we did. This command that's given to us, right, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Like, we can't all do that if some of us aren't sharing the burdens, right? So, like, if you want your brothers and sisters to be able to do this, you have to be willing to, to share <laughs> and open up a little bit. 
So I, I just, I, I want you to hear me clearly. Please don't try to live life alone and nullify the word of God. And, and I assure you, I, I, I want to be there. It's not a burden. It's not a problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'll fill my schedule with other things. But when you say, hey, here's what's going on, that's when I, I get the opportunity to then step into those things. And I put the other things aside, right? Like that's what, that's what I want to do. So you're not a burden when you share what's going on in your life with what you need. You give me the chance to, to pray with you, to care for you. And understand, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to know if you don't tell me. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it seems simple. You're like, of course. But, but really, some people just assume, oh, I'm sure Pastor already knows about that. I'm sure you already heard about that one. That's not the case. <laughs> don't make that assumption. I don't have a magic way of knowing what's going on in your life. Like when I, I pray for each of you regularly, right? That's part of my, my weekly rhythm, praying for particularly members of the church, but everyone who attends regularly. But when I'm praying for you, God doesn't like give me a glimpse of your calendar and tell me the highlights of what's happening in your life. Make things a lot easier for me if he did. Scary for you, for some of you. If, I, if he did that, right? You're like, whoa. So let me assure you, he doesn't normally do that. Now I may get a sense Something's wrong. I may get a sense something's off in your life. Maybe you're facing something difficult. I may, I may have that sense, but unless you will engage with me and share that with me, most of the time I'm not going to know. It's been a handful, handful of times in my, my life that I've known for sure there's something going on that I need to go be a part of. That God just told me that without anyone else saying anything. That's rare. That's rare. So you have to share, otherwise I won't know. I'm probably not going to see your Facebook post if you're relying on that. I'm not very active there. And I'm not on really any other social media, right? So if you're thinking, well, I put it on Facebook. Pastor didn't come. I didn't see it. I guarantee you. <laughs> I didn't see it. So let me, just, let, me, let me just be honest with you, transparent with you. I'll tell you, one of the things that hurts me the most as your pastor is when I find out stuff later. And it's usually, if I find out later, it's from other people, right? Oh, Yeah. So-and-so was really struggling navigating through this difficult situation. So-and-so was sick. So-and-so was in the hospital. So-and-so had a, had a surgery. And I had no idea. And I'll tell you, that hurts. Because at the, at, at the very least, the very, the very base level of what I want to be able to do is to just pray for you where you are and what you're going through. And if you don't share that with me, at least give me that opportunity, that's something that hurts deeply. So again, hear, hear this in love. As me asking you to help me do what God has called me to do as your pastor. Share with me. Reach out to me. You have my number. If you don't, come get it. My phone's always nearby. If, I, if I'm in a place where I can't take your call, I won't. I'll call you back. If you text me and I can't respond right away, I'll get back to you. Especially now, iOS 16 lets me mark those so I can actually get back to them, not forget like I do sometimes because I'm human. Right? So you're never an inconvenience when you call or when you text, when you share something with me like that. Please, please do that. Please don't pull back from the body and try to be like the foot who thinks, I'm going to be fine if I'm severed from the body. You're not. You'll decay and die. Don't be like the sheep who thinks, hey, you know what? I'm just going to kind of wander away from the flock and from the shepherd who's supposed to keep watch of me. I'll be fine. You won't. Right? Randy and, and Reed can testify. they got the little sheep ranch going on over here, right? If the sheep goes away and there's danger nearby, it's, it, it's going to get killed. Right? And there's danger nearby, especially when hardship comes into our lives. So don't be that sheep, don't be that foot or hand or whatever part of the body you are. Don't think you can operate apart from the body. You're not designed for it. We need one another. And I love you guys, and I want us to live as God's designed us to live. So we'd all flourish, so we'd all grow. Paul and Barnabas got the privilege of digging in. They're in Iconium, remaining for a long time, the text says. But eventually, 
Eventually that season did end for them. As we conclude this morning, look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, to the surrounding country and continued to preach the gospel there. So eventually what happens here is that they're forced out of the town again. And like I said, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul Marsh, they're willing at any point to lay down their life and, and give it all for Christ, to suffer as martyrs' death. But I think though they would have done it there in Iconium, the Lord must have told them, hey, the task that I've put before you, this missionary work that I've called you to, it's not yet complete. So he led them on, gave them a release to leave that city and travel out further to the south, to the east. Initially, they went about 20 miles to the city of Lystra. From there, they went about 60 miles farther to the east over to, to Derby. Again, walking to reach people with the gospel message. I, I just don't think we can stress that enough, that level of commitment. And they remained there. We'll look more at those ministries next week as we turn you know, farther into the text. But, but there's a challenge, I think, that's given to us here today for us to consider. We need to take some time to examine our hearts this morning and see where our level of commitment to the call of God on our life is personally. Are you really set on living committed to the call of God in your life? Are you committed to worshiping God with your whole life, both corporately when we come in here, which means that you're committed to more than just, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to put on that external show. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be present. No, I mean, like you come in here really ready, committed to worshiping God, to humbly receive the gift of grace that comes when God's people gather together like this. Are you committed to worshiping God in your work, in your times of rest, in your relationships, in your hobbies, even in what you eat and drink, in that day-to-day -day life? Are you committed to worshiping God in those moments or are those kind of secondary to you? Hey, I'll worship when I go to church and I'll be all in, I'll focus, I'll drink some coffee so I can listen. <laughs> but then when you leave here, are you still committed to worshiping God? Or are you trying to disconnect some areas or all areas of your life outside of these walls from the worship of God? How committed are you personally to the mission that God has given to us? Ask yourself, I want us to reflect today, honestly, in our own hearts. I mean, are you praying and seeking opportunities to share about Jesus? Are you even willing to share about Jesus when he puts those opportunities in front of you? Would you be willing to spend dedicated time sharing with someone about Jesus, digging in and doing some hard work more than just, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you want to believe in Jesus? No, okay. You know, like, would you dig in? Would you be willing to even travel a few miles, maybe, to share Jesus with someone? I mean, the example of Paul and Barnabas, right, is that they gave months of their lives, endured several dangers, walked hundreds of miles, crossed seas, and do you think, hey, that's great for them? I mean, because they're missionaries, so that's why we're reading about them, right? Or do you look at them and go, you know what, okay, God, if you led them to do that, I've got a car, I've got a phone, I've got all this opportunity, you know what, Lord, you've given me so many great gifts, I'll go and I'll be a part of sharing the gospel right here where you've put me. Like, are you willing to even take that step? Where are you in relation to others in this body here? You have to examine your own heart in this. Are you seeing and engaging with God's people here as he's designed you to do, or are you pulling back and trying to disconnect parts of your life, trying to live alone, trying to, to be the sheep who wanders away from the flock, away from the care of the shepherd, thinking, hey, I'm going to be fine, I'm going to be fine. I've got to figure it out. I'm a tough sheep. 
Uh, listen, I know. These are a lot of questions, and I, I'm putting out a lot of questions for you right now, and, and I'm doing that because I, I don't know which one you need to deal with first. I, I don't know which one's most pressing in your heart right now, but you do, and the Holy Spirit does. So my prayer has been that as we have a chance now to respond, that you begin to, to work through that list wherever you need to start, right? Whichever part you're feeling him kind of lead you towards that conviction in your life. Uh, start there, and then begin to think through these things. What is my commitment to the call? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need God to strengthen me? Where do I need to grow? And so what I want us to do today as the worship team comes is I want us to start that process right now. We have just a, a few moments to pray and to seek God and to, to take that top item and begin to deal with the Lord on it. This will be our focus this coming Thursday as we have that time of prayer and fasting as a church body, I'm going to encourage you to, to pray over these kind of things and ask God, where am I committed? Where am I not committed to the call? And what does that mean? What do I need to, to do and change? And I really believe that as we do this beginning today and then going throughout this week, that God's going to be moving and he's going to be working among us. And that as he leads us in these things, these areas of response, he's going to bring some really beautiful growth and some flourishing into our lives individually and as a whole church body. So let's respond to him and his word today as we sing this last song. You're welcome to, to stand. You're welcome to come to these altars. You can, you can bring this specific question with you to the altar and pray over that. You can bring another need to the altar. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm, I'm available. would love to do that. But let's take a few moments to respond to the Lord, to ask him to make us ready to continue this work outside of this place as we go throughout this week. Let's respond. Let's respond.